0: Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our uh, Sunday school for the end of May. Can you believe it is Memorial Day already? And uh, let me just go ahead and do my rant. It's interesting that I hear people that don't know the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Veterans Day is when you thank people for their service. Memorial Day is when the people you're thankful for are dead. And you really can't thank them, but you can be thankful for them. It's a day we set aside to recognize not just veterans who have died either, but those who have given their life for the sake of our country and our freedom while they were serving in the uh, military. And uh, I know you've probably got family members that uh, have given their life somewhere in your ancestry and I know I do too, and I'm thankful for them and for all of the others. It's uh, a very moving sight to go to a national cemetery and to see all of the um, headstones and to read some of the things that are on them. And so we're always grateful because our freedom was bought at a price. We may be free, but it wasn't cheap, was it? And that always makes me think, of Jesus, It makes me think of how he laid down his life for us so that we might receive life, so that we might be forgiven, and so that we might be free. And it says in the Bible, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And that's what we really are. It's one thing to have freedom as an American and as a citizen. It's a whole nother aspect to have freedom from sin and freedom in Christ and to be alive in him. And the last few weeks, we've been talking about what I think, in my opinion, are kind of gloomy things. In fact, um, if you're a Sunday school teacher, I hope you didn't enjoy talking about sin and talking about hell and punishment and that type of thing. I hope it uh, moved your heart. I hope it made you thankful for your salvation and hope it also made you compassionate toward all the people that you're around on a daily basis who are headed toward hell. Jesus said that uh, wide is the road and broad is the road that leads to destruction, right? In other words, that's where most people are. But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And so you and I are on that narrow way and we're kind of walking upstream against the crowd and against the people on the Broadway. And as we walk against them, they get a little aggravated sometimes. Now, thankfully, there are those people that will say, where are you going and why are you going that way? And we tell them about Jesus and they join us. But most of the people are not. And most people are not going to be saved. And uh, that ought to make us sad. But we're going to talk about redemption today, which ought to make us happy because the redeemed of the Lord are supposed to say so. And so we need to speak up about this. So let's uh, ask the question in the New City Catechism. Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor? Is there any way to escape punishment and be brought back into God's favor. Now, when it says back into God's favor, that's not implying that you were okay once and saved once, and then you lost it. How do I get back? It's speaking to humanity, saying, how can we get back to what Adam blew? How can we get back to what Adam lost? And that, of course, is through Christ. Now, the answer is a very good answer. It says, yes, to satisfy his justice, God himself, out of mere mercy, reconciles us to himself and delivers us from sin and from the punishment for sin by a redeemer. And we're looking this morning at um, Isaiah chapter 53. I love that chapter, by the way. If you're not familiar with Isaiah 53. Get familiar with it. It's one of the greatest chapters in the word of God. We're going to zero in though on verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days and he will excuse me the will of the lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied notice how those two things are put together anguish of soul and satisfaction by his knowledge shall be righteous shall the righteous one my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Um, This particular passage in these verses, they reinforce the whole idea that our salvation is not of us at all. This is about God the Father sending his son And notice that it says in there that he was pleased to bruise him for us. Pleased God the Father. How in the world can that be? And I don't have any explanation except for mercy, grace, and love. God just wanted to do it. And the fact that it pleased him to make Christ suffer is an amazing thing because... I'm not worthy of that. And you're not worthy of that. And sometimes maybe we get the idea that when the father put the son through what he did on the cross, that somehow he did it reluctantly and that heaven thought it was a tragedy. Let me just remind you, it said in what we just read that the father was pleased to do that. There's no reluctance in that statement. There's no, uh, well, I'm in a bind and I have to do it. I have to keep my word. There's nothing like that at all. The word please there means that he was happy to do it. Isn't that what you mean? It means that he was excited to do it because that's the only way you could be redeemed. And he loved you enough to pay the ultimate price for you to be redeemed. And so from start to finish, our salvation is of the Lord. We've got to get that right. This is not a God who did everything he could and he sets back, crosses his fingers and waits for people to come and hopes that they will. This is a God who was involved in everything from beginning to the end. This is a God who sends his son to pay for our sin and then he sends his spirit to draw us Christ and to give us faith to believe him. This is all about the Lord. And it all talks about substitution. If you talk about redemption, you can't be biblical unless you talk about substitution. That's the picture all the way through the Bible. When Adam and Eve sinned and God confronted them, the first thing that happened was he killed an innocent animal. An animal died before mankind ever did. And that innocent animal became the covering for Adam and Eve's nakedness. And so we see in that blood being shed that there's a covering for our shame. But the most important thing out of that is the innocent animal died for the guilty human. That's kind of an astounding thing if you stop and think about it. And that's the way it is whenever sacrifices were offered at passover when they were getting ready to leave egypt what had to happen an innocent lamb had to be killed and his blood put on the doorpost and the lintel in order for the guilty sinners the humans the israelis the slaves in order for them to go free That's the pattern all throughout the scripture, and that's what Jesus did on the cross. He didn't ask you to do anything. He didn't ask you to complete anything. He didn't ask you anything like that at all. He asked you to trust in him. And when you trust in his death, then just like it says in Isaiah, I like this translation, it says, it is accounted to you for righteousness. God's righteousness becomes yours. It's put on your book, on your account, on your record. And so it's wonderful to think about this, how free we are in the Lord, knowing that we don't lose our salvation because it was all paid for in Christ. And we also don't earn or work for our salvation because he did everything that was necessary for us to be saved. Now, let's uh, go through this and talk about it. Number one, notice that it was the will of God, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And so Christ was not a victim of circumstances. Christ was not just a figure who lived and tried to do something and then couldn't and ended up being a martyr. It's not the case at all. In fact, when you think about Jesus, you have to remember every part of his life was planned. I know people get sentimental at Christmas with a baby in a manger and in a stable, but let me just say that was the plan. I know people are bothered when they see that um, Jesus was born under the Roman Empire and all of that kind of stuff. The reason they were in Bethlehem is because they had to go register to be taxed. Oh, that's just terrible. No, that, that was the plan. That was the plan. And when we go on to think about in Jesus' adult life, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, what a horrible thing that was. Well, it was, but it was the plan all the way through the arrest, all the way through the trial, and all the way through even the gruesome death on the cross. This was all planned by God. And um, we forget that sometimes. It was the will of God. It wasn't the will of the crowd. It wasn't the will of the Romans. It wasn't the will of Pilate. It wasn't the will of the Jews. It was the will of God. Now, did the devil... And his crew work in that? Well, of course they did. Anything God does, they try to take it over. They try to manipulate it. They try to be sovereign over it. They try to short circuit it to stop it. And uh, whenever we think about all of this, some people say, well, the devil took him to the cross and God in heaven wept and the angels wept. And uh, I don't know anything about that. They may have. But I also know, too, that they weren't in despair because this was the plan. And when I think about the devil's involvement in all of this, he knew that as soon as the Messiah came, that was prophesied back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, he knew he was doomed. And so you find during the life of Jesus rather than the devil pushing Christ to the cross, seems to me like he was actually trying to kill Jesus before he ever got there. It seemed like the assignment from Lucifer himself to his demons was keep him from getting to the cross, kill him in Bethlehem by Herod's sword, stone him, you know, any of those kind of things that might come up. But when it finally happened, Can you imagine, as the devil says, all hands on deck, do whatever you can now. And so when Jesus died, was the enemy present? I'm sure he was. Was he controlling the wickedness of uh, the ones who crucified him? I'm sure he was. When the Pharisees gathered around and they were wagging their heads and saying he saved others, let him save himself, come down from the cross. When the thief said basically the same thing, was the devil involved? And I'm sure they were. The Holy Spirit wouldn't author that. But isn't it interesting that when Jesus is hanging on the cross in shame, in agony, in great pain, the first thing he thinks of is his Father. And the second thing he thinks of is us. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What a savior we have. What a savior. When you look and you see Jesus on the cross, you can hear him as he cries out to his father. And then the very next thing he does is he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think that's the point where he who knew no sin became sin for us. And then we know that everything was okay because the next word he says, he calls him father again. They had been reconciled. The price had been paid and the relationship between Jesus and his father is perfectly fine. He had done what the father told him to do. There's a sense to where we understand that Christ died for us. He's our substitute. But there's an even greater sense where we could say Christ died for his father. This is what the Father needed. This is what the Father demanded in order for sinners like us to be redeemed. Our sin had to be paid for, and praise the Lord, it was paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name... He gave the right to become children of God who were born. Now listen, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what are we saying there? This is God's doing and God's business from start to finish. We ought to praise him. We ought to be thankful about that because he didn't have to do it, of course. Number two. He was crushed as an offering for us. Now, that's back to what I said just a while ago. It's all about a substitute. Crushed for us. Crushed for us. Now, let's make one thing really, really clear here. People say, well, that cross should have been mine. It wouldn't have mattered if you died on the cross. Those two thieves died on the cross. And only one of them went to heaven, and he didn't go to heaven because he was crucified. He didn't go to heaven because he died on a cross. He didn't go to heaven because he died beside the Lord. He didn't go to heaven because he was at the right place at the right time on a hill outside of Jerusalem. He went to heaven because he repented of his sins and he trusted Jesus. Remember that? While both of them were blaspheming Christ at first... One thief came to his senses by the grace of God. And he says to him, you know, you and I are getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing. And then he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says those words. It must have been so wonderful. This day you will be with me in paradise. So the thief is saved. He's saved before he can be baptized. So don't tie baptism to this. He's saved before he can ever attend church, before he can ever tithe. He's saved before he can ever give someone a cup of cold water. He's uh, told this before he could ever feed the hungry or any of those other things. I mean, this is it. He's got but a short time to live. And yet the son of God has said, you'll be with me this day in paradise. That's a that's a wonderful and amazing thing. But why was he going to heaven, the thief? Because he had a substitute, happened to be right next to him, but his substitute, Jesus, the son of God, the innocent one was dying for the guilty one. And so this is something that uh, I think a lot of people miss because um, I've done a lot of funerals over the course of my ministry now since 1980. And it's amazing how many people, even those who go to church, they'll pick out a song or a poem, or they'll say something that is just so unbiblical and works-based. Well, if anybody ought to go to heaven, it's Mama. She was such a saint. See, And they don't understand that what they're saying is Somehow, mama deserved it. None of us deserve it. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And mama was a saint. What's a saint? Well, we think that a saint is a very special class of people that are just, just so close to God. According to the New Testament, you're a saint. Every believer is a saint. And how close are we to God? Well, he lives in us, and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you can get any closer than that. And uh, there are different things that are said that kind of give the idea that, well, if anybody's going to heaven, it's Joe here. What do you mean by that? The whole idea here is he was crushed for us because he is the substitute. He is the offering for us. And God did it. And the offering had to be perfect. And You know, the rich young ruler uh, came to Jesus and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Boy, what a statement. It means that you could not atone for your own sins, even if you died on the cross. You'd go to hell like that one thief did. It means that if any atonement is going to have to be made, God is going to have to be doing it, is going to have to do it. And so the guilt that he atoned for was not his. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be... To become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Turned my page too soon. Let me read that again. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does that sound arrogant? Someone told me years ago they thought Paul was arrogant. He claimed to have the righteousness of God. Arrogant. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. How do we pull that off? Here we go. Through substitution. And through the death of Christ, God can punish sin because he made his own son, not to be a sinner, but to be sin. And Christ, the blameless one, took that punishment for us so that the Father can now give us love and mercy and grace. And he puts the righteousness of God on our account. Now, You may not feel righteous, but I didn't ask you if you feel righteous. And the Bible doesn't say anything about feeling righteous. In your life, there are going to be thoughts that are ungodly, There are going to be motives that are ungodly, and there are going to be actions that are ungodly. But if you're a born-again Christian, here's the deal. They've already been paid for. And on the record book in heaven, the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself is on your permanent record. And so this is just a mind-boggling, amazing thing that God would care and that God would do this for us crush his own son and that his own son would be willing to come and do this. Ephesians chapter two says we were saved according to the good pleasure of his will. You know what good pleasure is? Means he wanted to, means he was thrilled to do it. It means you and I are saved because Christ was excited about saving us. And that's what I think it means when he says he endured the cross, despised the the shame. And why did he do that? For the joy that was set before him. And think about the joy of fulfilling his father's will. Think about the joy of ascending back into heaven and being seated at the right hand of God the Father. Think about the joy he has every time he is able to welcome a believer like you or like me into his presence. Think of the joy there. And so when I think about Christ and I think about him, he did what he did, not out of reluctance, but out of joy, great joy. And number three, he alone could satisfy justice. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. The justice of God is satisfied through the death of Jesus Christ. So through this and through Christ, sin can both be punished and forgiven. Those two things don't usually go together, do they? God found a way, and it was a way humans wouldn't think of. On the cross, justice and grace met and kissed. And so when Jesus died and said, Into your hands I commit my spirit, the Father was fully, fully satisfied. And even that thief who was going to die just a short time later, even that thief was welcomed into heaven like Jesus was. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall, of hostility. You know, that is something that we have when we have the peace with God that every believer receives at salvation. Now remember, peace with God is automatic. The peace of God is not. And uh, your peace with God, hostility's ended, the war is over. That ought to extend in our life toward everyone else. That's why the Bible always ties together. Love God with all your heart, but also love your neighbor. The two things go together. That's why the Bible says, if you say you love God and you hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. The two things go together. And Paul writes here saying that because we have peace with God and the wall dividing us from God is no more, the veil in the temple has been ripped. What is he saying? We have peace with God, a right relationship with him, and that ought to bleed over into a right relationship with other people. That's why that is so important to God. And number four, he imputes righteousness to those who trust him. He's going to make many, not everyone, but many to be accounted righteous. It's imputed. It's an accounting term. Your uh, old stuff, everything you've done is going to be expunged and the righteousness of God is going to be put into your account. So righteousness cannot be achieved. It's got to be given. Why? Because you're already a sinner. You've already messed up. You're already stained. You're already tainted. You need somebody else's righteousness. We've seen yours, and God has seen yours, and it's no good. It's like filthy rags, the Bible says. So God had a way of giving you brand new righteousness through him. And understand that um, it must be given, and it must be God's righteousness, because if there's none good but God, That means the only righteous being in the universe, inherently righteous, in and of himself, is God. You're not going to get righteousness from yourself. You're not going to get it from your mama or daddy. You're not going to get it from whoever sits in the White House. You're not going to get it any any way because there's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says, right? And so the righteousness comes from the only righteous one, who found out a way that he could make us righteous. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, And be found in him, here's the key, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul said, I know that I don't have a native righteousness. I don't have an organic righteousness. I don't have a righteousness that I can produce. All I produce is sin. All I produce is failure. All I produce is falling short of the glory of God. But through faith in Christ, the one who did please the Father, I can have a righteousness that is not my own. It's an alien righteousness. It comes from someone else. And God gives it freely to those who trust Christ. And he gives it completely to those who trust Christ. Jesus paid it, A-L-L, all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Hallelujah. What a savior, right? So as you Sunday school teachers who are listening to the audio of this teach this, get a zeal and a gladness and a joy in your heart as you talk about Jesus and redemption. And for those of you who might've missed Sunday school and you're watching this to make up for it, if you've never been saved, I invite you to trust Jesus and confess him as Lord and repent of your sin today. And if you have trusted him, let the joy bells ring in your heart because he loves you. He died for you. He's made you righteous. He's invested in you. An unworthy sinner for the glory of his name. God bless you and thank you for taking the time to listen to or to watch this message.